You have a good Thanksgiving? How many people love Thanksgiving? I love, that was it. I love Thanksgiving. And uh, I want to tell you why. I love Thanksgiving because you get to gather. Uh, there's no pressure. It's not like Christmas where you're wondering about gifts and all that. It's just so awesome. And uh, the amazing thing about it is that you may not realize this, but you actually look thinner than you did before Christmas, like you lost weight. You don't believe me. All right. Nobody believes me. Well, anyways, then after, Chris, after Thanksgiving, what happens is we have black... And the energy elevates everywhere, right? Energy goes up, stress goes up. It's like you're in a, in a race there. You get in the race car, you go down the track, and it's a blur of activity, right? A lot of activity, intense activity, and uh, for the next 30, 35 days or whatever there. And you're going to eat more, decorate more, some of you. Uh, you're going to celebrate more. Come on. Uh, so you're going to do more and more and more, and it's just like could be exhausting there. And so, and then when you're at the peak of that, those of you that have kids, they come out of school. Yeah, they're out of school, huh? And then you plan a family vacation. That's more stress there. And so today what we're going to do is we're going to do something uh, profoundly biblical in light of the fact that this season is the most stressful season of the year. We're going to talk about and reflect about how you can be grateful and how you can be thankful and how you can build that into your life because there's going to be an onslaught of overwhelming activity that could steamroller you. So we're going to help you kind of reset, reposition uh, this morning here. And so the title of the message is this, is how to be grateful in an ungrateful world, how to nurture your heart in thankfulness. So we're going to open up our Bible so we can hear from God. And so we're going to look at Luke chapter 17. Those watching online are going to join us. So I'm going to ask you if you're able to stand to your feet. We're going to read from Luke chapter 17. I'll read the odd verses. You'll read the even verses. And this is from the New Living Translation. And it says this. As Jesus continued on toward Jerusalem, he reached the border between Galilee and Samaria crying out, Master Jesus, have mercy on us. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. And Jesus asked, didn't I heal ten men? Where are the other nine? Thank you. Well done. You may be seated. Father, thank you that we're here. And I thank you that you're, uh, uh, we've gathered together around your scripture that we would hear from you. Thank you, that you for meeting with us, and may you use this passage of Scripture to speak to us things that we need to know, things we need to be mindful of about being full of gratitude and thankful in the season uh, that is upon us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Everyone agreed, saying amen. amen. And so the title of the message, again, is How to Be Grateful in an Ungrateful World. And I want to ask the question, how do you graduate into a life of gratitude. How is it that you can do that? Because the reality is a lot of people really aren't all that grateful, aren't really that thankful. One of the things I love to do is I love to watch graduation speeches. I love when I have a little bit of time to uh, get on YouTube 
I'd watch Louis Giglio and Denzel Washington and that Admiral guy make your bed. And and I'll watch them over again and over again. And I love watching how they inspire. They're humorous. They're challenging. uh, They're just riveting talks there. Graduation and talks, commencement ceremonies, they inspire the graduates to their future, to what lies ahead, to what is going ahead of them and keys to realizing their future. And in a sense today, here's what we're doing. In a sense today, this is a gratitude, graduation ceremony that we're observing for the 10 lepers. It's like this. Jesus is giving all 10 lepers the opportunity to flip the tassel and to graduate into gratitude. Some of them will. Some of them will fail and never graduate. Others will. And Jesus has come to give us a commencement address and to say, uh, if you never grow in gratitude, really, what have you gained? Are you going to flip the tassel for the rest of your life and be a person of gratitude and thankfulness? And so now when we graduate in many areas of life, but I think what, what happens is as we hit obstacles in this very area of gratitude and thankfulness, we bump up against many things which undermine and keep us from being people of gratitude like some of the lepers here. And so what do you think in light of that? What do you think is the most oft-repeated scripture, don't miss this, in all of the Bible? Here it is. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. Don't you think that if that is the most often repeated scripture in all of the Bible, give thanks that we need to hear about giving thanks. That maybe there's an issue in our lives about giving thanks if God put it in the scripture more than any other verse. Why do we give thanks? For who he is and what he's done. Because he's good, because he's thankful, his love is everlasting. We give thanks to the Lord. And so the Bible also says in 1 Thessalonians 5.18, in everything, not in some things, Not for all things, but in everything, give thanks for what? This is the will of God. You want to know God's will? To give thanks. This is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning all of you. And so again, not giving thanks for everything, but in everything. So in the story here in Luke chapter 17, Jesus encounters 12 hobbling, decaying, dying, desperate lepers here. And the moment that he walks by... He sees these 10 homeless outcasts. I want to talk a little bit about what their lives were like. Uh, It's a tad gross, but just so we understand the enormity and the immensity of the moment here. Because they're living out of of, uh, garbage heaps. They're dumpster diving. Their lives are ravaged by their leprosy. They're ostracized. They're emotionally, physically traumatized. They're isolated. They're disfigured. They're separated. Watch. Pay attention. They've lost homes, careers, respect, and all hope. They have no hope. I've seen a leper colony, a real leper colony. I was from a distance uh, from it, maybe, maybe 50 yards to 75 yards, but I could see the people there. And I want to tell you this. It was the most depressing thing I've ever seen in my entire lifetime, bar none, no close second. Absolutely. And I was 50, 75 yards away from the people here. And so what do you think is the one thing that the lepers wanted in all of their life? 
What do you think the one thing? What did they want? They wanted healing. They wanted to be whole. They wanted to be well. They wanted to restore relationship again. They wanted to be free again of the pain, be able to hug their kids or their grandkids. So let's look at the story with that backdrop. Verse 11. As Jesus continued toward Jerusalem, he reached the border, an unnamed town, between Galilee and Samaria. So he, he bumps up against this unnamed town. I'm going to call it Calamasa. Maybe Ukaipa or Redlands or Beaumont. But he bumps up into this unnamed town here. And so and it's, it's uh, by Samaria. So he goes through Galilee, through Samaria. The thing you need to realize is this, is Jews, that Jesus was a Jew, they did not do Samaria. They hated Samaria, hated the Samaritans. And so it's unthinkable for a Jew to transverse through Samaria. And so they would avoid it at all costs, but not Jesus. So what's going on here? He's going to cause a big stir, big commotion. People are going to be upset. He went where traditionally Jews would not go. I want to point out a little sidebar. Hey, this is what God is like. Like, this is what God is like. That God delights in meeting everyone. God delights in meeting the lepers, throws out all the rules of religion there, throws them out the window because the lepers were compromised and he cared more about them than he did man's tradition. It's like, I'm done with tradition. I'm going to reach uh, those that need me. So he enters in a village and there's 10 lepers, it says in verse 12. And as he entered a village there, 10 men with leprosy stood at the entrance. So you can see there, all their hopes are fulfilled in the great teacher that now is coming and is within earshot of them. So Jesus notices them. Where no one else noticed them, they're not invisible to Jesus. And so now that we understand the extent, the enormity of the miracle here, uh, I want to point out here that they would have missing limbs, missing fingers, missing noses, uh, missing teeth, uh, missing extremities. Uh, they would reek of rotting stench of decaying flesh, overwhelming your sense of smell. They roamed together like a pack there. And what they were doing is they were begging, they were scavenging, uh, uh, looking for any waste that they can consume. That was their life. So it was from a distance. They stood at a distance. Why did they stand at a distance? Because the Levitical law was they had to scream out, unclean, unclean. Imagine that's your life. For the rest of your life, to scream out to people with larynxes that are ravaged by leprosy in these uh, uh, difficult voices uh, to be screaming out unclean. And that's what they were doing here. And so they were crying out to Jesus because what? He's their only hope. He's their only chance. He's their only, I mean, there's no cure. There's no hospitals. There's no pharmacy. There is, there's no options, no medicine, nothing. Jesus or bus, for the rest of your life, you're in that wretched condition. Crying out, verse 13, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. As if they were pleading, Jesus, can you look upon our pitiful condition? They felt that they were judged by God. They felt it was a judgment by God and that, that they had done something wrong that they ended up in this deplorable condition. And God was punishing them. That was a, the cultural understanding of the leprosy mindset, living with this horrendous burden, not only physically, but emotionally here, feeling that they were being punished by God. So they're saying, can you heal us? 
Can you cure us? Can you rescue us? Can you save us? And so the lepers are screaming here. And look at verse 14. So he, Jesus, looked at them and said, go show yourselves to the priest. Now that was a radical announcement there. Completely radical. Why would they go back to the priest when the priest is the one that ultimately really had condemned them to the life that they're now living? And that the only way you could go back to a priest was if you're healed, which they weren't. And so they're thinking to themselves, why would we go back to the priest? The priests are going to think we're crazy. It's the priest's fault that we're in this village anyway. It's their fault, so why would we do that? And so Jesus said, I want you to go to the priests, fulfilling Levitical law there. And so that's what they did. And so somewhere, watch what it says. Watch, look at it, look it up the screen. Go back, go, go back to the scripture. As they went, watch this, as they went, they were cleansed of their leprosy. So somewhere between where Jesus said, I want you to go to the priests, and they start as they went, somewhere between there and arriving to the priests, as they went, they were healed of their leprosy. And so Jesus says, go show yourselves. Now, they knew they were not supposed to do that unless they were healed. So all that to say, there had to be some faith there going on here. And imagine the conversations going on while they're walking. They're not healed, and they're going to the priests. I wonder how many said, hey, you, you think it's going to happen? You think Jesus is going to heal us? W what do you think? What do you think? Is he really going to do it? Like, if he's going to do it, like, when's he going to do it? And so uh, do you think, you know, looking at their nasty bodies, and their limbs are, are mangled, and their skin is absolutely repulsive, and there they are, walking toward the priest. And then there's an amazing miracle. Watch. As they went, they were cleansed. The original language means they were completely clean. So think about it here. There then begins the flow of life. As they went. There's a flow of life and health and, and strength there. And every few steps... Maybe they're seeing a, a limb form, a finger form. Their nose is coming back. Their, their eye, they can, many times they'd be blind. Now, now they're going to be able to see. And imagine the lepers looking at each other and going like, whoa, and, and just being speechless there, beginning to scream. you got to hear them screaming here. And then, and then the nightmare is over. And there there's toes, you know, and their toes are beginning to tingle and have life there. And their fingers you know, that were malformed and deformed and missing are beginning to take shape again. And everything is changing for them. They can hardly get their minds around the immensity of this miracle. It is amazing. It is stunning. It is shocking moment here that their leprosy is now gone. And look at verse 15. One of them. When he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. I just want to point out to you, I just want to point out to you, in quiet California church, in sophisticated California church, it says that one of them, when he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. I just want you to know it's okay. <laughs> like sometimes here, said, like I wonder it's okay to be loud. The book of Revelation, and they praise him with a loud voice, like heaven's going to be loud. So think about that. Sometimes you experience things in life, and you're loud. 
in, your, in, the, in the original language, absolutely teeming, full of emotion. And so that's, that's how, how he was here. And so, uh, so I want to say this is it. Um, how about you? If you had leprosy and you were healed, would you express yourself in a loud voice? Thank you for the two amens right here. Super appreciate it. The rest of us, I don't know. Like, what, what would, you, would you be quiet about it? See, friends, watch. Here's the reality. Leprosy is like a form of sin where just it decays, destroys you. Sin is like sin. And so we have reason to express our love, our thankfulness, our gratitude because of the immensity of what has been done for us here. And when we worship, we can express our love to the one that has healed us. It's very appropriate to express yourself. What is worship? It's responding to all that God is and all that he has done with all that you are. That will include a loud voice from time to time. I'm not saying like you got to be that way all the time. What I'm saying is there are moments to be that way. This was his moment here. And so the miracle of Jesus' healing in him produced a response. It should produce a response in us, produces worship in our lives. Watch this. Gratitude produces worship. That's what he was doing here, falling down at his feet here. And so perhaps could it be that many times it might be insightful that if you're not worshiping, maybe it's connected to you're not all that feeling grateful, not feeling thankful. Verse 16. He fell to the ground at Jesus' feet, thanking him for what he'd done. So one Samaritan leper is thanking God for what he has done with a loud voice here at Jesus' feet saying, thank you. Thank you for my hands. Thank you for my new nose. Thank you for my toes. Thank you that I can walk again. Thank you it doesn't hurt. Thank you that I don't smell anymore. He says, thank you, thank you, thank you. And he's overwhelmed with gratitude here. One leper runs back to Jesus, but notice the reality here. One out of ten shows gratitude. Could that be insightful? One of ten. The immensity, the enormity of a transformative moment that changed them forever, and one comes back. One of them says when he's walking, hey, uh, catch up with you later. I'm going to thank Jesus and the other nine just keep walking, never to turn around, never to thank him. So could it be, could it be, friends, that being thankful and having gratitude is not normal? Could it be that, uh, that it's not natural? I'm asking. Could it be? Have you ever been around a two-year-old? Do they, are they full of gratitude? Full of thanksgiving? Thank you for changing my diaper. Thank you for feeding me. When my, one of my sons was two, he hated being put in the car seat so much. God is my witness. He would scream so loud. God is my witness. I would think my ears were going to start to bleed. It was so loud. Had a babysitter once. He screamed so loud on the freeway, she pulled over. It was that painful. Was he full of gratitude that I was like, uh, putting him in the car seat? No, there's no gratitude whatsoever. It's not within you. It's not natural there to show gratitude. So do you think there's anything instinctive about showing gratitude? There's not. Your parents, think about it. Your parents would say, 
uh, when you'd get something like, what are you going to do? What are you going to say? Say, thank you, say thankful, or I'm going to kill you, Rodney. You know, that's what my mom would tell me. And so we just so naturally show gratitude. And people say, well, just have, a, have an attitude of gratitude. I beg to differ. That's not enough. It's not about having an attitude of gratitude. It is about letting an attitude come to expression. See, an attitude there, it's a call to action really here. So you have to put the attitude into action. Gratitude without practice is a little like faith without works being dead if it's alone there. It's not alive here. So you want to have a grateful heart here. So grateful habit number one to all the graduates of gratitude here. And again, the dropouts, the nine, they don't need to listen, but the gratitude graduates here, grateful habit number one, watch, watch, is to say so, is to let it come to expression, that you hear it, that you say it. The most basic level of gratitude is that you would express it there. So Jesus is saying, if, you're, if you have gratitude, I want you to say something. Moses would say it this way uh, when he comes to the lectern here to talk a little bit about in the commencement ceremony, he would say this. He said, Deuteronomy 8.10, while God has pointed out his provision for you, you just don't want to sit there and act like you earned it or act like you deserved it. And so Deuteronomy 8.10, for when you have eaten and are satisfied, what do you do? You say it, praise the Lord, watch your God for the, for the whatever, fill in the blank. Praise him, thank him for them, for the land that he's given you. This is entry level of gratitude. Now watch. Here's the reality that I know to be true. Reality is this. You can be surrounded by God's blessing. Uh, you can have all these relationships. Surrounded by his provision, the goodness of God, God-given opportunities, things he's kept you from, doors that he's opened here, and you can forget to thank God for his provision like the nine, like the 90% here. And so praise the Lord for the, praise the Lord for the roof over my head. Praise the Lord that I can feed myself and somebody else doesn't have to feed me. Praise the Lord that I, I have a place I can go to worship and we can control the temperature. Praise the Lord for my coffee this morning, my brew, my cold brew, your lattes, whatever you drink out there. It's like your own little private fireplace, but you just thank God for that, right? I wonder how many people are more excited about getting their Starbucks than coming to church this morning. So anyway, I'm just saying, you thank God for your relationships, for his amazing grace, his mercies new every morning, for his provision. But when is the last time you thanked God for answered prayer that was used, or, or a blessing that at one point was just a prayer? Now it's a blessing. The one leper turned around, surrounded by nine others that didn't turn around here. Could it be, I'm just going to ask the question, could it be that the one leopard well, who was from Samaria, the other nine were from Galilee? Jesus was from Galilee. Okay, so those are like, perhaps they had seen one another, perhaps they'd seen Jesus heal. Could there have been, I just wonder, just asking the question, not making a statement, could it have been that they were a little entitled? A little bit of entitlement thing going on. Yeah, we've seen what he can do. We've seen the miracles. Guy in Samaria, Samaria, not so much, not around Jesus so much. 
He is at Jesus' feet. The other nine never came back. I'm just asking. Now watch. See how Jesus sees the one. Verse 17. Notice how he responds. Jesus asked, now wait a second. There's the one. This is great. I love this. What about the 10? Like, I healed 10. Where's the other nine? What happened to them? Well, like, where's your friends? Where's the other Galileans? The Galileans there. The other nine, where, where, where are they? Like, what happened? Is, is no one, are you the only one coming back here? Uh, what would it take for the other nine to come back? What would it take for you to be grateful? What would it take for us to show gratitude? See, think of this. The nine are the recipients of amazing grace. Supernatural, stunning miracle here. How is it they could have their, mouth, their mouths closed after a miracle like that? See, how can the nine ask Jesus to heal them and never come back and say, thank you? How can you be blessed? How can I be blessed and not say, thank you? So they're looking at their hands. Their hands have been healed. Their, their feet have been healed. And the, and the question Jesus asked the nine lepers is insightful about us here this morning because all of us, again, we're, we're like the 10 lepers here. You realize what the Lord has done for you. What is your response? Thank you, Lord. Here's my response. Here's our response. Thank you, Lord, for what you've done. Because you have done what no one else could ever do. Think about it. What the Lord has done in you, no one else could ever do. I'm telling you before God, there's because of what the Lord has done, there is and only because of the Lord, what the Lord has done, am I here? Like, I don't deserve to be here. When I look and I reflect on my life, I think that was just a supernatural act of God because with bipolar mom and two alcoholic parents, and never even, never even set foot in a church, never. Not till I was like almost graduated from high school. Didn't even know what people did in church. It was all so foreign to me. But like, and here I am. Like, how do you connect those dots? It's only because of what the Lord has done. And the research shows this. The research shows this. Is it, uh, uh, and Jesus wants this. God is saying to us this morning, I want you to live a life of thanks. I want you to live a life of gratitude. I want you to graduate. I don't want you to be like the nine. I want you to be like the one. And so to help get us started, we have these little give thanks cards, the scripture on there. And I got this. I'll tell you where this comes from. This comes from Harvard University, smart people, white jackets, all that stuff. comes from Harvard University. Research that they did that found this, found out that if you want to build gratitude in your life, they, they did research, and the research showed this here, that if you want to build gratitude into your life, you have to practice it just amazing what the scripture says. Say so. Like you got to do it. And so what they said is you have to write at least six things down. So I minimized it to three. It was six and I changed it because I didn't want to feel like we're doing a formula here. Okay. But it's just the concept. The concept is you got to acknowledge things 
Acknowledge some things. There it is to help you get started. And you can't just do that. You can't just write them down. Then what you have to do is you have to say them. You have to repeat them. Thank God for my wife and my kids. Thank God for my church. And so you're saying them. And it says, and you got to do it. I don't know where it comes from. I'm just telling you the study. They said twice a day. So I'm not saying that there's anything inspired about that at all. But I am saying this. There's some truth into the, in their conclusion, and that you, you respond to what God has done. And you, and you put into practice by saying what God has done here. Now watch. Here's the research shows that the happy people are not the ones that have the best of everything. The happy people are those who most appreciate everything they have. Take it to the bank, baby. Think about it. Think about wealthy people. Think about your own life. Think about places that you've been. It's not those that have everything, but those that appreciate the most everything they do have. And so that's a grateful person. So people who put into practice a life of gratitude, watch this. And I quote from a study. They're the most socially connected, joyful, optimistic, more gracious, experience a reduction in anxiety, and are better looking. I just threw that in there for good measure, okay? But not the better looking. But anyway, but the point is, it's transformative. Change your life. How central is this to your life here? And so what would it take for us to be more grateful? One more, one more blessing? Uh, and so the Lord has done what you can never do for yourself. And so uh, can you look at your life and recognize what it is the Lord has done that is transformative for your life? So habit number one is to say so. Thank God for his provision. Now habit number two. And then I've got three and they're short. Psalm 23, verse four. Even though... I walk through the darkest valley. Watch. I will fear no evil, for you're with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Watch this. Number two is even though. That you can express gratitude even though you're walking through the darkest valley. Even though you don't know where it leads. Even though you're single and you want to be married. Even though you're married. So David comes along, the next commencement speaker about gratitude, and he talks about habit number two, even though. Yeah, we thank God for his provision. We thank God for his purpose. Even though we don't understand there, even though you're walking through dark valleys, even though you cannot see, even though you don't understand. That's like Abraham in Romans, where it says that he prays God fully persuaded that what God had promised he was able to perform, even though Sarah was not pregnant, still praising God for his purpose, the Messiah was going to come. I was reading up on a song, It Is Well With My Soul. You've all sung, many of you have sung the song. Did you know that the author of the song was a lawyer, was a wealthy lawyer in Chicago? Owned like half of Chicago. And so what happened was there was a fire, burned up all of his real estate ownings, and then his son died. And then he sent his family off on a vacation. And when he sent the family off on a vacation to Europe on the boat, it went down. 
all four of his daughters died, and he got a dreaded uh, telegram that said from his wife, saved alone, saved alone. And he bore the excruciating news, and then what he did is he went to join his wife. Oh, he was on the water in about the spot where the ship went down, and he lost all four of his daughters. He penned that song, It Is Well. It is well with my soul. Even though he went through that valley, it is still well for my soul. And so gratitude in seasons of even though. Even though my heart is broken, even though I don't understand, even though there's someone missing at the Thanksgiving table, even though I'm in dark valleys, even though I don't understand and I can't see, even though you're grateful for God's provision, but also... For his purpose. His purpose is seen in Romans 8, 28, which says, and we know that God causes all things then, friends, all things, not some things, to work together for the good, for your good. It doesn't say that they are good, but they work together for your good, synergistically, for your good. And so, in closing, we need one final commencement speaker. So I'm going to call the Apostle Paul, and Apostle Paul is going to give the last grateful habit, number three. We need one final speaker that will aspire, perhaps some valedictorians here this morning here in the graduate class. For one final insight into gratitude, we're going to ask the Apostle Paul to take the stage and to talk to us from his own life about how he had gratitude. He spent much time in his prison, as you may know, in Ephesus and Colossae and Philippi when he wrote his letter to Philemon. So the graduates of the church of Philippi heard this. Philippians chapter 1, verse 12. You can look on the screen. And I want you to know, my dear brothers and sisters, that everything that's happened to me here has helped me to spread the good news. See, he's in prison and he's viewing his pain through the, through the good that God is doing. For everyone here, including the whole palace guard, knows I'm in chains for Christ. He's not complaining about the chains, but he's seeing the chains through God's purpose and how God is using them in prison. And because of my imprisonment, most of the followers of believers have gained confidence and are waxing bold. And look at what God is doing through me being here in prison. And they're boldly speaking God's message. Yeah, we thank God for his provision and his purpose. What about this? There can be gratitude in our pain. Who talks about that? We don't praise him for the pain. And I'm really, I'm just scratching it at the surface, on the periphery of this here. But we don't, we don't thank him for the pain, but we thank him for what he's doing through the pain, which Paul just talked about at the church at Philippi here. And so James put it this way, puts a different spin on it, the half-brother of Jesus. He says this. He says, For you know that uh, the trying of your faith, being more precious, okay, uh, or when your faith is tested, uh, that produces endurance or patience within you. 
Well, let that have its perfect work. Don't bail. Don't quit. It's difficult. It's hard. You're in a trial. It's painful. But don't let it have its perfect work that you, in the end, will be complete. Jesus is working within you, through you. Be complete, not lacking anything. See, there's pain in that verse there. Watch this. Please don't miss this. You don't have to feel grateful to be grateful. That's the point. A lot of times, I don't feel very grateful. Okay, I get that. I don't feel very thankful. I get that. You don't have to feel thankful or grateful to be grateful. Paul wasn't feeling it, okay? But he was seeing what God was doing there. And so this, my friends, is the message on post-Thanksgiving about how is it that we can be a thankful people? How is it that we can graduate unto gratitude and not be like the nine, but be like the one? How many of you want to be like the one? I want to be like the one. Yeah, come on, somebody. You want to be like the one? Honestly, listen. Your best life, your God-desired life is on the other side of being like the one. To the degree that you're, you step into being like the one, you will experience blessing in your life. So let's be doers of the word and not hearers only. Would you stand to your feet? And Father, thank you. And with our heads bowed, I would say, Holy Spirit, like to each of us here, what are you saying to me through the message? Do I need to step into a life of thankfulness, a life of gratitude? Father, thank you for the story of the one thankful one that returned to you. Help us that we won't be like the other nine. We want to be what you want us to be, thankful. More than just thanking you when you touch us, but when you work your purpose in us, and even in seasons of pain. Thank you, Lord. May we surrender our lives to you, trust you, and may you move in our hearts. May you move in our lives this morning and have your way within us. And this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.